Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. Hosted by the editors of Writer's Digest, this monthly podcast features conversations with writing and publishing experts whose insights will help ignite your creative vision, hone your skills, build your platform, and get your work out into the world. Welcome back to Writer's Digest Presents. I'm Senior Editor Robert Lee Brewer, here with Editor-in-Chief Amy Jones, Managing Editor Mariah Richard, and Editor Michael Woodson. For the WD team and for many poets across the country and around the world, April is Poetry Month, so it only makes sense to focus this episode on poetry. Later in this episode, I'll discuss poetry with a roundtable of poets, but before that, let's chat a little bit about our own experiences with poetry. Hey, everyone. Hi. Yeah, so I guess maybe the best place to start with talking about poetry is maybe everyone's first experience with poetry and and we'll we'll start off with writing poetry because even if a person does not consider themselves a poet i'm sure everyone has had to perform the exercise of writing a poem at some point in their life so so maybe we'll start with you amy like what, what what's your first experience with writing poetry i remember i wrote poetry a lot when i was in middle school and high school um, it was something that even beyond like the assignments that we would give to each other, um, I was I was the person who carried around a journal with me to every class. And when I was bored or frustrated, um, I would take out my notebook and I would either journal or write poetry. Um, and I thought some of them were like fairly decent for a high school student or a middle school student. So when I got to college, um, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and I um, I wasn't a literature major and I wasn't a creative writing major, but I took plenty of both of those classes. And I took this poetry class um, and I cannot remember, I cannot remember what it was called, but we you know, frequently had to write poetry that was um, like in response to poems or poets that we were assigned, which was interesting. Like that's a, an interesting creative exercise to try to um, mimic or respond to these other poets. Um, but I think like that's actually the class that made me stop writing poetry. And I was telling you all of this when we were preparing for this episode, like it was all to do with a comment that the professor left on one of the poems. Um, I had written something that, you know, I didn't, I hadn't read a lot of contemporary poetry. A lot of the poetry I had read at that point in time was the assigned readings, which are, you know, the classics at that point in time, um, you know, the canon or whatever. And so I, what I had written, I thought was creative and unique. And I remember she wrote on the, on the poem in the margin, this is very cliche <laughs> or something to that effect. <laughs> and I, uh, I she definitely used the word cliche and I stopped writing poetry after that class. Um, it's something that I've wanted to get back into, but I haven't, I haven't been brave enough to do it. But at one point I enjoyed stopped it. Stopped writing ever since? I've, I haven't written a poem since then. Yeah. Hmm. And so that's been a good, um, almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. 
could... yeah i mean it's interesting like when you go to college like what poetry is before college and what poetry turns into after college and i i'll get to uh you um mariah michael in just a moment but uh listening to amy's story actually like reminds me a little bit of like how i started off with poetry um like i you know there, there's like a poem that i always wish i could get back from like fifth grade that i wrote for like music class that was probably super cliche but i wish i had it just because it's like a document of, <laughs> of like my first poem that I remember being really proud of. But um, then in high school is when I started also carrying around notebooks and just writing poems. And my models were two places. It was the older rhymey poetry that we learn um, in English class up to that point. Uh, definitely not the contemporary stuff and then uh song lyrics like that's that's my like two places where the poetry came out and for me like poetry was definitely like about rhyming and stuff like that i did have a little bit experience with contemporary poetry because i would buy poetry books randomly when i was in high school but like a lot of the contemporary stuff i got i just didn't even know how to enter into it so like i would get it read it and think i don't even like my brain doesn't compute like what's going on right now and that's something that i started working on after i got into college but i remember my uh when i signed up for my freshman level courses they said like we could not do like creative writing courses and stuff but i went ahead and did it anyways <laughs> and figured they would kick me out if, good for you if, uh you know i'd done something wrong uh and i had you know plenty of credit hours to keep, you know, to get off to a good start my freshman year. But uh, I remember that first creative writing course, like getting into class, we go through, run through like stuff that you're not supposed to write about, uh, like different cliched stuff. Um, and then we started reading like some different example poems and like, before the end of the class, like I realized, wait a second, None of the poems we're reading, none of them rhyme. There's not one rhymey poem in here. And everything that I've been writing up to this point is rhyming. <laughs> so I remember leaving and like thinking, I need to figure out how to write poems that don't rhyme. <laughs> and and that became like my challenge for like uh, the rest of the year. And thankfully, I didn't. I know, looking back on some of the stuff I wrote, that my initial professor could have given me a harder time than he did and he did not. And I'm very thankful and grateful for that, that, uh, he allowed us to grow as poets in his class. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, but, but anyways, Amy, your, your story reminds me, um, a lot. Like I see a lot of similarities to like how, how I started as well. Um, and, um, I guess we'll jump to Mariah. Um, I think that I've always written poetry because I was raised by an English teacher. So it was just <laughs> something that was always kind of in our house um, and that she encouraged me to do. But it wasn't until I was in my creative writing program in undergrad, um, I had a really, really excellent professor 
who just encouraged us to play as much as possible. Um, so I did a lot of like blurring between the lines of like what is a very short story and what is a poem. Uh, but I also took a, a class with him that was all about poetry forms. And in that class, um, I don't even remember how it came to be, but I do remember that I wrote a really long paper on color words and how color is used in poems. And it was in writing that paper that I came to think about color as it relates to description across like all written forms, um, which really transformed the way that I approach any descriptive writing. Um, but then I didn't write poetry for a good many years after that. I was like busy considering myself to be a fiction writer. Um, but <laughs> I, I had two friends who lost children. And uh, as a reaction to that trauma, I started writing um, what were initially meant to be letters to the kids, um, but ended up being just like journals and journals filled of poems about how I was feeling and how I was processing that trauma and helping my friends to process that trauma. And ever since then, poetry has just become like a thing I do for myself. Um, so that's that's where I currently am with poetry. I would not consider myself a poet, but I do think that it's a really beautiful personal form that I do enjoy writing. And how about you, Michael? Yeah, I don't really have many memories of writing poetry growing up. Uh, we had tons of like poetry, sort of children's poetry collections in our house. I think everyone's familiar with Shel Silverstein and... Um, I had this book called The Pizza the Size of the Sun that was sort of a knockoff of Shell Servicing, but I was obsessed with it. And it was just tons of kids' po or poems for children. And I carried that around everywhere. And I it was really college when I started to examine poetry more seriously. And it was also because I, I was a creative writing major. And I think at the time it was required to take at least a course in outside of what your um, focus was and mine was fiction. So I took a creative non creative nonfiction class and a creative poetry class. And the professor was a, um, I think a grad student and he was just brilliant. And it was the first time that I'd ever been asked to like look at each line particularly closely. And also the first time I really heard someone read poetry the right way. And um, I, I ended up really loving that class when I really I thought I was really going to struggle in it, and I and I it was not easy because I do feel um, more naturally a fiction writer, but I learned a lot about fiction in that class of poetry, and I still don't write poetry very often, and, and in fact it's been years except for last week actually, I was having intense writer's block with this sh short story I'm trying to write, but I didn't want to stop writing. I wanted to keep momentum going and I was like, why don't you just try to write a poem? <laughs> and, um, I did, and I don't know if it's any good, but, uh, it was oddly satisfying to, because I think the, um, it can be difficult to wrap your head around, like you're not done with this story yet that you've been working on and to sit down and be able to finish a poem was so utterly satisfying that it, um, really, 
got the creative gears working in my head for my story. So I think uh, it's sort of ebbs and flows for me where I am with poetry, but it's never not helpful. Yeah, I, I find it's... that interesting um, that you use the poem to like help break writer's block in a different genre. Like I, mm -hmm. I love to jump genres specifically for that. Like it really it does yeah. help me kind of like like using the muscle metaphor you know if, if you're just always using like the same muscles all the time then like like say you know you're just always using your arms to do things eventually it might be hard to walk because right. you're you're never using your your legs or, or you know so so like sometimes like just writing different forms even if the goal of writing it isn't to get published or to um do big things with with sharing it like I, I think just using those different muscles sometimes can can help unlock uh, other types of writing like with the fiction and um i know like personally like i mentioned like how i got started in poetry and i went to college and took some creative writing courses in poetry i made it through my first two years uh I think I took uh, like five different um, creative writing courses on poetry the first two years. And then I turned into um, a fiction writer, as Mariah mentioned during like her, her discussion uh, with it. And I like kind of had burnt out on poetry. And for a few years, like I just, I couldn't really write it at all. But then I was considering myself like a fiction writer and I was like winning undergrad awards at our college for writing fiction so i just started thinking like this is where i'm going i'm going fiction um but then after like getting into the work and everything getting into work and you know real life and all that stuff i um kind of quit writing fiction and then like it was almost like like i was still like writing stuff for work but like it was almost like i'd quit writing at all but then poetry like kind of gave me this door where I could sit down, scribble out like five to 20 lines and feel like I'd written something. And, right. and that's kind of where I went. Well, I want to go back to what, and I think this ties in, but what Mariah and Michael both said about like with Mariah writing to deal with the emotions of trauma and coming to terms with that and thinking about it. And then Michael, what you said about using poetry as a way to break that writer's block. I think both of those things are what I enjoyed and used poetry for when I was younger and I did write poetry. And I feel like that has been um, something that I have been cut off from all of these years. And I think I would be, <laughs> this is almost like a therapy session. I feel like I would be a more um, like self-aware person and I would get back into that creativity if I did go back to those things that I know worked for me then um, that mm -hmm. I love to do. And like you said, Robert, make it just for myself and not worry about, um, you know, showing it to people or let alone a professor, right. you know, and being critiqued for it, but just using it to, for myself. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. My actually, my writer's group, asked me last night because I, I met with them and I had them read it and they're like, what are you going to do with this? And I was like, 
I think nothing. Like, just thought I'd show you guys what I was working on when I wasn't working on my story. And it, it was actually nice. It took the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And 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 I like that about um, talking about it as therapy as well. I'm, I'm glad you uh, uh, caught on to that, Amy, with uh, Mariah talking about it. Uh, I have at many times used poetry as a release valve when something overwhelming happens in my mm-hmm. life um, there are like my i've got like two go-tos like one is i like to run energy out and two i like to write it out and usually when i have to write something out it's like often so overwhelming that i can't like form it into a story i like it's more like images and feelings and like, I just have to like kind of get it out and on the page and, and poetry is like really well suited to that type of writing. I think I I know people use Mm -hmm. journaling as well. And like, for me, like poetry is almost like the way that I journal. I would definitely agree Mm -hmm. with that because for me, what I find freeing about poetry is that especially in your like initial drafts, you don't have to be coherent. And I feel like even with something as small as flash, your sentences have to make sense. Um, And they have to make sense within the whole where I can just sit down and like jot off a few really random lines. And it might be nothing or that might be a stanza in a poem that I pull together later. Or I can just look at my journal full of like random stuff and be like oh here are like two or three ideas that i kind of see a thread through let me pull them together and maybe that will work um but there's also just you know sometimes it's nice just to be able to kind of word vomit onto the page and if that never becomes anything at least in that moment i've had that like oh i've gotten this feeling out of my body and I've, it brings me down to like a more neutral, calm place. Mm, I need that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've totally, I've, I've had that so, so often. And um, I guess the next question that we've talked about, like our own writing experiences is like kind of, you know, does do, does our group, like read much poetry. Like I know that I do, but I know that it's not something that everybody, even people who like to write poetry don't like to spend a lot of time reading it, but I'm just kind of, uh, to, to get a sense here, um, because I know that everyone in this group definitely does love reading novels and short stories. Mm -hmm. I, I know that for sure. I don't know as much about the poetry side. I don't read a lot of poetry. Um, Before I prepared to interview Elizabeth Acevedo for the magazine, I hadn't read um, poetry beyond what was in the Poetic Asides column um, really for quite some time. But reading her novels in verse, it brought me back to... um, to really enjoying reading poetry. Um, I loved that it sort of meshed those two 
things in my mind. You know, I love reading the novels, but also what she can do with language in these poems that make up the quote unquote chapters of these books was just incredible. Um, so I, re I really loved that experience. And that's something that I enjoyed when I was younger and I read um, poetry was I liked reading novels in verse. Um, so I've been reading a little bit more since um, doing that interview last year. I actually bought a new collection of poetry um, in the fall and have been reading that. So I'm quite, quite pleased with myself. And I've been enjoying it. <laughs> I may not understand everything about it, about the poems. And I think that's one of the challenges for me in reading poetry is, um, you know, not necessarily understanding it. But then I guess that's all relative. It's what I take from it. I'm the same way, Amy, or I came back to it. It sounds like the same way you did because I, a few years ago, learned about myself that I love um, books and verse and I love Elizabeth Acevedo. I think Jacqueline Woodson is a beautiful uh, novel and verse writer. And I think because of how um, pervasive social media is now in the world, I come across a lot of poetry in like snippets because mm -hmm. people just post their stuff all the time if they're writing. And um, I, there's one collection that I have just more recently gotten into and I was exposed to her through social media. Um, and it, it's an interesting take on poetry. Should I say, or am I, am I holding on to this or should I just tell you who I'm talking about? Oh, you can share. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Has anyone heard of Kate Bear? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. She is a poet, and I found her on, on social media, as did most people, because she takes what um, like, what internet trolls send her and turns them into poems, and it is unbelievable what she does with them. And it's very emotional how she does it, because these are just horrible things people are saying to her, and she turns them into like these really optimistic, beautiful lines of poetry and she came out with a collection called I hope this finds you well um, and it's just so stunning and uh, is the most recent um, uh, poetry collection that I have that I have been um, reading that sounds wonderful yes yeah and I, I think that's like a real power of poetry is it's its ability to like make things transformative and to take yes. something that I think everyone's aware of uh, the trollish type of things that could be out yeah. there and to turn that into something uh, beautiful is that just underlines, you know, what poetry can do. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I just think it's really interesting that you discuss like how important social media is to how you um, like consume poetry because I, um, I'm a really big fan of like slam poetry and even just like I have an addiction mm -hmm. to videos of poets reading their work um, because I think it's a totally different experience than than when you're reading it to yourself privately. Um, so a lot of the poets that I've come across in recent years um, have all been through button poetry, which I follow on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So like at least every day, I'm I'm like reading some kind of um, 
Like sometimes it's a snippet from somebody's poetry collection. Sometimes it's a video of a reading. Um, but I'm always, I'm always consuming it a little bit every time I log into uh, my social media accounts. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and I, I think that's one great thing about social media. <laughs> a lot of times people talk about the negatives of social media. I love um, how well suited it is for sharing poetry um, yeah. in its many different forms. Uh, that That's really cool to hear that Amy and Michael, like, kind of got back into poetry through, like, novels and verse. Uh, Mariah does, uh, loves like the slam poetry, um, side, uh, personally, like I, I love both of those, but I also love like poetic forms and share a lot of that, like more, both like more traditional forms, but then like newer forms that people are, um, constantly creating. And, uh, it's, it's always a surprise and a delight to find like a new form and be like, because every time, like, I find a form and try it out, I think, okay, like, there's not much else anyone can do. But then people <laughs> always, right, writers find uh, creative new ways to do things. So, and poetry is, like, one of those cool places that there, there's so much out there. And, you know, we haven't even talked about, like, experimental poets who will write an entire, like, poem with just one vowel. Or right. uh, poets who will write a whole poem without any vowels at all and uh do different things like overlaying text and uh where it's almost more like an image than it is um what i would traditionally call a text document but um but it's also well, so cool and like this one thing poetry lets you do so that reminds me of when michael was talking about the poet who took the horrible things that people sent her on social media and like transformed it into something else. Um, there was a, when I was working on art books, one of the poet, like poetry forms that was popular among the artists I was working with was the blackout poetry where you, you like transform a page of text into something else entirely by blacking it out. Um, and so it was sort of, similar to what you said, Robert, more about like the image, um, of the thing. It was, it oh, was yeah. an art in two different ways. It was the poem, but also the image that you create and they would, you know, draw on the blackouts that they had made. They would use black gesso or paint and create these beautiful images that related to the poem that they had written. Um, I love it when people can take one thing and transform it into something else entirely. I love that skill. Yeah, and, and something that often moves somebody somewhere, um, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that—that's really where uh, you know there, there's a craft to writing poetry, but there's also like this great art uh, of of writing poetry, and uh, you know, part of it's personal, and then part of it's the part that gets shared with the world and um it's it's really like there are so many different dimensions to it um mm -hmm. and uh that's why personally like i love i love 
uh, poetry, and that's why um, I read the intro today <laughs> because I'm a little bit of a poetry nerd. So, um, uh, I guess, like, you know, we've talked about writing poetry, reading poetry. Um, would everyone in the group mind, like, sharing maybe, like, uh, whether you have, like, a favorite poem, a favorite collection, or, like, a favorite poet? Um, and maybe we'll start with you, Amy. Um, I'm not sure that I can say I have an official favorite poet because I don't feel like I've read enough lately to, um, you know, to give a solid opinion about that. But there are a couple of poets who I have a collection of their poetry and I have really enjoyed it and I would like to read more. Um, and for me, the poets are it, the ones that I like. It's more about the content and the subject matter of their poems than their skill in writing the form. Although I imagine if I were more well-versed in the forms, I would be able to see that in their works and I, and I would appreciate it. Um, so <clears throat> the first one is um, British poet James Fenton. Um, and he um, writes, and I think since the 70s maybe, has written, maybe I'm mistaken about the 70s part, but it's been, because in my mind, the 70s is only like two decades ago. <laughs> well, the 90s were like just five years ago, so. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, he writes political poems, and um, it, you know, it calls out the, the, the wars and atrocities that countries commit against each other and their citizens, and that um, really appeals to me. And that was, and I think partially because that was the kind of poetry that I was writing when I was in high school. Um, because I was in high school when the um, war in Afghanistan began and the war in Iraq began. And so that was weighing really heavily on me. And I think that, um, influenced my appreciation for his subject matter. Um, and then the other one that I've been enjoying, this was the new one that I bought a couple of months ago, um, William Stafford. That's a great collection. Uh, right the there. Darkness Around Us is Deep. I like his poems because um, they they touch on some personal um, experiences in, in my life and take me to thinking about certain people that I that I love, who I love, excuse me. Okay, uh, I'll jump over to you, Mariah. Um, so, like, thinking about my all-time favorite poets, um, I would say my favorite poem is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, even though that's, like, <laughs> I feel like that's such a lit kid thing to say. Um, but my mom read me that poem when I was very young. Um, and I remember that's the first time that I was ever, like, obsessed with a single author. Um, I wanted to read everything that he'd ever written. Um, and another one of my like comfort favorites is Pablo Neruda. Uh, but thinking about like more current uh, poets, um, anything that Rachel Wiley has ever written just absolutely blows me away. Um, and she's another one of those poets that I just love to see her perform her work. Um, you know, I think it, it is a skill to be able to perform your work in a way that like really moves a crowd. Um, and she's just an expert at it. And then 
um, fairly recently in our Breaking In column, uh, I was able to feature Paul Tran's All the Flowers Kneeling. And let me tell you, I have not been so excited about a debut poetry collection in a while. Mm. Um, so oh. if you're if you're interested in poetry, I really highly recommend that one giving a read. And even if you're not, um, I think that it's just so beautifully written and so emotional that every reader could take something from at least one of the poems. Wow, I actually can't wait to read that now. Um, I also was very obsessed with the Raven when I was growing up. I had a teacher in middle school who uh, read it to us um, one day for a lesson, and he read it so powerfully that we, I don't want to say forced, but we like begged him to read it again, and he read it immediately again, and it just had a, an impact on all of us, and um, I went down a deep Edgar Allan Poe uh, hole and um, loved him. And another one that is an annoying answer, I really loved Robert Frost when I was in college. And um, I it re his work really did influence a lot of my fiction writing I do because I just love the way he writes about nature. And I love writing nature. Um, which is annoying and boring and I get it um, to say, okay, Robert Frost. Everyone loves Robert Frost. Um, but more contemporary stuff. Like I said, I love Katie or Kate Bear. Um, and then someone else that I'm really loving is, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing their name right, Alok. They are a performance poet and the way that they um, perform their poetry is, is, a very important aspect of reading it. Um, I love, I love the way that they use language, um, and a, a lot of their work is based on gender identity and politics, and sort of the, the cross section of the two. And it's always just really powerful and um, and impactful. Yeah, those those are all uh, great. Um, I second the robert frost uh stopping by woods on a snowy evening is like yeah a perfect poem <laughs> there aren't many yes. poems that you can say are like perfect even like the great poems but mm -hmm. uh, i always think that that one is like a perfect poem if i ever wrote one poem that was as good as that um i would think wow <laughs> it was all worth it <laughs> um uh and uh, the raven as well like it's cool cool to hear all the raven love uh i <laughs> have read that to my children so many times um and i always think this time they're going to tell me not to read it anymore but they always let me keep reading it to them so, yeah. <laughs> so. i have like just a little anecdote about the raven um <laughs> so in lancaster county pennsylvania every fall there is a um like edgar Allan poe fest oh my gosh that happens um where it's like a single night well it's it's one night but you can go over the course of a few weeks like they do more than one performance um and like there is an actor there who is playing Edgar Allan Poe and you sort of like shuffle from room to room and they do dramatic readings. Um, but there was one year where um, he was 
obviously Richie and I go every year. <laughs> yeah, of um, course. But there was one year in particular where he was not the Edgar Allan Poe actor that we had seen before. And um, it was just him on a stage with like, it was like a desk and like a little fake raven and just these like red velvet curtains. But the way that he read the poem, like, and it's a poem I've read a million times and I've heard read a million times, but I was weeping at the end. Mm. <laughs> I've got chills, Mariah. And so it, it's just like, I think it's one of those really interesting things about poetry is that like, depending on who is performing it, like, mm -hmm. it can really hit you differently. Totally. So, I can. Mm -hmm. I, okay, sorry. Um, uh, I love that you're saying this because, okay, so Gilmore Girls has had a chill quote on me since the year 2000. Like, I can't give it up. <laughs> and one of my favorite episodes is in season three where, like, the Edgar Allan Poe Society come and they do, they have this whole thing and... That re immediately reminded me of it because it's such a delightful little episode. <laughs> Nothing to do with what we're talking about. That's great. Uh, well, my wife might listen to this episode of the podcast now that there's a Gilmore Girls reference to it. So. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> she might. Wow, what an endorsement. She will. But uh, uh, yeah, so um, I'm not trying to dodge my own question, but uh, like as far as contemporary poets, like it's really hard for me to like just choose um, even 10. <laughs> so so mm -hmm. I'm just not even going to try um, <laughs> because I've worked with so many of them. But uh, the, the poem part of it, my favorite poem, and this is actually how I introduced I guess the Poetic Asides blog does not really exist anymore. It's just poetry, you know, content that's on writersdigest.com. But uh, our poetry content on the site started off as a blog, Poetic Asides. And my first post uh, had the opening lines from uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock uh, from uh, T.S. Eliot. And I just, it's like one of those poems that like I fell in love with the opening lines and then had to start figuring out what the whole poem meant because I was so in love with it uh, from the very beginning. And um, it's just like, like even when you may not understand fully what it means the first time reading through, you feel this tension between like, this is supposed to be a love song, but there's also like all this, these images that just don't feel right and um and and un, untangling all that and, and that's something i think like great poetry does it, it it's juxtaposes like all these different emotions to where sometimes you might not even know what you feel and uh to get back to that point about different people reading the same poem, having different impacts. Uh, great poetry means something different when you're a teenager versus when you're in your thirties versus like now that I'm in my forties, as I get older, I'm sure coming back to the same poems, I'll have a completely different interpretation on them yeah. as we go along. Um, and that's just great poetry. Um, I guess 
this is feels a little self-promotional, but this is our uh, poetry episode, and I feel like I would be remiss not to mention our annual April Poem a Day challenge that we do on the website. Um, as you're listening to this, April is already starting to wind down, but we love people to join at any point during the month. And what we do for the April Poem a Day challenge is basically uh, I provide a prompt each morning, uh, usually like around three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I provide an example poem and I realize, I just go into it realizing that it's my first draft and that uh, it's a first draft. <laughs> <laughs> and then I implore other poets and poets from around the world, around the country and around the world, um, participate every year and I always feel so humbled by it but they share their poems in the the comments and there are also poets who do not share their poems in the comments but they write poems at home and keep it tucked away and uh, all are welcome uh, so just go to writersdigest.com to participate in that and through the month of April one of the first few posts each day will be uh, an April uh, poem a day challenge prompt. So uh, please check that out. Um, I do want to briefly mention, um, I participated in last year's April poem a day challenge. Um, but because I mostly do write poetry for myself, I did not share a lot of my work, but I kind of popped in and out of the comments over the course of the month. And um, the poems that I did leave, um, I got some really like wonderful feedback and the community just really like celebrated and embraced me. Um, and it's, it's a very open, easy vibe in our Writer's Digest online community. Um, so even if you are coming late to the challenge by the time you hear this episode, like please don't hesitate to participate. Um, everyone's welcome and we're all excited to see your work. Yeah, and it's definitely meant to be a celebration of poetry a lot. It's meant to be fun, not to be critical or um, make people second guess <laughs> their their poetry writing abilities. It's, it's definitely a place <laughs> to build up and to have fun. So, all right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I always love these uh, chances for us to talk together about different topics. I always learn something new um, about everyone. So mm -hmm. that's great. This is Robert Lee Brewer, and I've assembled a round table of poets to share some poems and discuss all things poetry which covers about everything in the universe, so we'll have plenty to talk about. I have with me Kelly Russell Agadon, Kim Dower, Timothy Green, and Joseph Mills. So here's what I'm thinking to get things started. I'll uh, just introduce a poet and then said poet can read a poem. Then I will introduce the next poet and we'll just go through it that way and then we'll, we'll get into our conversation. So using a super complicated formula uh, called the alphabet, I'm going to start off with Kelly Russell Agadon. Kelly Russell Agadon's newest book is Dialogues with 
Rising Tides, from Copper Canyon Press. She is co-founder of Two Sylvia's Press, where she works as an editor and book cover designer. She teaches at Pacific Lutheran University's Low Res MFA program, the Rainier Writing Workshop, and is an avid paddleboarder and hiker. Learn more at www.agadon.com. Thank you, Robert. Um, I'm going to be reading a poem today about uh, trying to love the world, and it is from Dialogues with Rising Tides. It's called Love Waltz with Fireworks. Seventeen minutes ago, I was in love with the cashier and a cinnamon pull apart. Seven minutes before that, it was a gray haired man in Argyle socks, a woman dancing outside the bakery, holding a cigarette and broken umbrella. The rain, I've fallen in love with it many times. The fog, the frost, how it covers the clovers, and by clovers, I mean lovers. And now I'm thinking how much I want to rush up to the stranger in the plaid wool hat and tell him how much I love his eyes. All those fireworks, every 17 minutes exploding in my head. You the baker, you the novelist, you the reader, you the homeless man on the corner with the strong hands. I've thought about you. But in this world, we've been taught to keep our emotions tight. A rubber band ball, we worry. If one band loosens, the others will begin shooting off in so many directions. So we quiet, I quiet. I eat my cinnamon bread in the bakery, watching the old man still sitting at his table, moving his napkin as he drinks his small cup of coffee. And I never say, I think you're beautiful, except in my head, except I decide I can't live this way and walk over to him and place my hand on his shoulder, lean in close and whisper, I love your Argyle socks. And he grabs my hand the way a memory holds tight in the smallest corner. He smiles and says, I always hope someone will notice. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Okay, well, we're going to move on to Kim Dower. Kim Dower, former City Poet Laureate of West Hollywood, is author of five collections of poetry. Midwest Book Review says her newest, I Wore This Dress Today for You, Mom, is deftly constructed, impressively insightful, thought-provoking, and truly memorable. Dower teaches poetry workshops for Antioch University, UCLA Extension, and the Hollywood LGBT Senior Center. Learn more at www.kimdowerpoetry.com. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Robert. And that was beautiful, Kelly. Just beautiful. Um, I'm going to read a poem called I Wore This Dress Today for You, Mom. That is the title poem of my new book that's coming out 
I think the day the show airs, uh, April 19th, and I'm very excited about that. And I believe, Tim, that this poem was first published in Rattle um, a long time ago. So uh, the poem has its little life of its own, and it's going to be the title of the new book I have that's poems all about mothers and motherhood. I wore this dress today for you, Mom. Breezy, floral, dancing with color, soft, silky, flows as I walk. Easter Sunday, and you always liked to get dressed. Go for brunch? Maybe there's a good movie playing somewhere? Wrong religion. We were not churchgoers, but New Yorkers who understood the value of a parade down Fifth Avenue, bonnets in lavender, powder blues, pinks, hues of spring, the hope it would bring. We had no religion, but we did have noodle kugel, grandparents, dads who could fix fans, reach the china on the top shelf, carve the turkey. That time has passed. You were the last to go, Mom, and I still feel bad I never got dressed up for you like you wanted me to. I had things, things to do. But today in LA, hot the way you liked it, those little birds you loved to see flitting from tree to tree, just saw one, a twig in its mouth, preparing a bed for its baby, might still be an egg. I wish you were here. I've got a closet filled with dresses. I need to show you. Oh, that's great. And and I had no idea that that was originally published in Rattle. So that that's uh, I always love those small yep small world things that happen with poetry like that. Uh, and how appropriate that the next poet is Timothy Green. Timothy Green has worked as editor of Rattle Magazine since 2004. He's the author of one book of poetry, American Fractal, which was published by Red Hen Press, and co-founder of the Wrightwood Arts and Wine Festival. He lives with his wife, Megan, and their two children in the mountains near Los Angeles. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me out. It's a lot of fun um, and great to see all your faces. Uh, so the only thing I write these days is uh, prompt poems, basically. And I'm just kind of in heaven because uh, once a week uh, we have our, our podcast and there's a prompt at the end of every week. And so I get to write a poem every week. And that's kind of all I really wanted out of poetry anyway. And um, so some weeks are serious and some weeks they're more fun. Um, a couple, I think last year we had uh, William Trauber John, who has those great old guy superhero poems. And the prompt for that week was to write your own superhero. And so this is Poetry Man Wins the Battle. Poetry man wins the battle, but at home the dishes still stack in the sink, near the sink in reckless stanzas, past due notices piled by the door like so many rejection letters, their SAEs not even stamped. How he'd spend hours changing commas to periods, paring each digit's expression down to its essence. Crime doesn't pay, but neither do poems, is all they say. But poetry should only be used for good, in fighting his old nemesis, Professor Prose. Poetry man plops onto the couch and clicks on the news, hoping to compose as weekly poets respond. And there he is again, the professor, 
in eyewitness iPhone footage. Half his lines are already broken by a relentless pair of iambic feet, but his blocky, symmetrical face stares straight into Poetry Man's studio apartment. You may have won this time, Poetry Man, he says, but one day you'll see that we agree. Even if I rhyme half the time, it's all just prose with line breaks. Then he laughs maniacally as they stuff him into a squad car, and Poetry Man and jams the TV. And jams the TV. <laughs> Love it. Um, that's great. Uh, our next uh, poet, uh, the last one, but only because alphabetically, that's how it works out, is Joseph Mills, a faculty member at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Joseph Mills holds the Susan Burris Wall Distinguished Professorship in the Humanities. He has published seven volumes of poetry, most recently, Bodies in Motion, Poems About Dance. More information about his work is available at www.josephrobertmills.com. Uh, thank you, Robert, and thank you for having me. And this you know, very uh, clever system, alphabetically, usually that puts me right in the middle as Mills. I don't think I've ever been either in the front or the back before. So uh, this is a new experience I for me. I think I'm as surprised as you are. That just happened to work out that way. <laughs> uh, and it's wonderful to hear the other poets. I hope, I'm glad when I was younger, I wasn't judged on the company I keep, but I hope I am now because to be uh, with you is really a, a rewarding experience today. So I'm going to read a poem called Set Pieces. It's in my most recent book. I wrote a book of poems that have to do with dance in some way called Bodies in Motion that just came out this year. Uh, this is called Set Pieces. Choreographers talk about setting a work on dancers, as if it's something they carry. And we admire how they carry themselves and carry the art, beautiful bodies in space. As for the rest of us, the overweight and short-legged and clumsy, the aging and awkward, we too carry what is set on us, movements we haven't designed, trying to do them as fluidly as possible for as long as possible until the steps we can achieve get smaller, less complex, and we begin to forget them altogether. This may seem facile, but only for those who know little of art, who believe myths like Esther and Rogers improvised easily, when in fact they did takes until she bled. To consider life as a dance is to hope that there is a choreographer who has some sort of vision and an audience who appreciates the effort. It's to believe we can carry what is set upon us with grace and beauty. It may be a lie, like all art, it may simply be the work we decide to do, or it may be something imperfectly understood, like how birds turn together just above the waves, making sinuous patterns as they migrate to some distant, unknown destination. Awesome. So, like, I'm love all those. They're they're all coming in different like kind of directions. One of the things I love about poetry is the versatility and that if we had a 2000 poet round table, uh, which would technically probably be very difficult to pull off, uh, we would probably just have this wide variety of uh, voices come through and styles. And um, anyway, I think maybe the best place to start off, and this actually kind of lines up with uh, Tim's poem, 
is to maybe give uh, your origin story with poetry. Um, for example, um, while I read and wrote poetry before I started to kind of move into where I considered myself a poet, whatever that means. Um, for for me, like it was writing a uh, love poem to a girl that I was trying to woo in high school. And what started off as, uh, you know, romance uh, for a specific person turned into a romance with uh, writing and just falling in love with it to where I started filling up composition notebooks and the the poetry has stuck with me over the years. Uh, so we can do this alphabetically. We can reverse the alphabet and start uh, with Joe. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, and uh, everyone, if you could kind of give a brief overview of your origin story. Um. Why now reverse alphabetical? Now I didn't. I, I liked being last to read, uh, but I don't like being first here. And uh, like you say, all the poems are different. But even as you were reading, I was thinking, should I read this one? Oh, Kim just wrote a poem about her mother. I want to read a poem about my mother. Oh, I I do poems that are prompts. So I think we all have, in the course of our careers, a, a variety of kind of different poems in certain ways. And and we do have careers, most of us, kind of long things. So I, I, I didn't grow up knowing any poets. I didn't grow up. I was the first person in my uh, family to go away to college. And if I would have said I wanted to be a poet, I, I would have been supported, but it would have been like, I want to be an astronaut or a space alien or a, a waterfall. It's like, great, go do it. We don't know how that works, but feel free. Uh, <laughs> and I certainly had no in, in, intention of, of doing that. And it was, to, to be absolutely honest, uh, I knew vaguely, I thought vaguely I wanted to be a writer, but in the way that people think about being a writer rather than actually writing. And I was in college and I was late as always for registering for courses. And a, a course had just opened up that I could actually get into, which was writing poetry. And so I signed up because there were slots. And uh, I think usually you had to submit a portfolio, but there was very few students, so they let me in. And I'm delighted that most of my work is pre-internet. So all of those poems and everything that I would have been tempted if I was young today to post are all gone. And I hope they never appear again because I was just writing horrible stuff that I thought, well, this is what a poem is, right? This, this model I had from 200, 300 years ago. I think I was writing about flowers and I knew nothing about flowers. I, I had no idea. Uh, but then I, I kind of kept doing it. In my 30s, I really started to write more poems because I had the time to do this to fit them in my days. And then in my 40s, it's like I started writing poems that I was like, oh, I like, I like that. Well, that, that's good. And I, I'm getting better and better as I go. I love prompts. I love uh, those kind of challenges. And I love using poems to kind of discover things. But, you know, it was my third book and my wife was like, when are you going to call yourself a poet? I'm like, well, I'm not a poet. I'm just somebody who writes a bunch, uh, you know, and then and then things build up over time and you've got a body of work that you did. Great. Uh, Tim. Uh, well, I was a, a molecular biology major at the University of Rochester and um, I, I didn't have any sort of intention on being a poet at all. And I thought maybe it'd be fun to be like a science fiction, you know, writer on the side. And so I took was taking elective classes, and I just happened to take a um, poetry class with James Longenbach. 
who was just amazing. I had no idea who he was at the time. I just, it was just there. <laughs> it was you know, freshman year of college, I think the first semester. And I just loved having, you know, writing a poem once a week. I, it's just like this meditative thing. It's so, it's like yoga for your brain or like the wordle or something, but you get to save what you made out of it or something. It's just, it's a great exercise. And uh, I just loved it. I love that experience of like learning things about yourself and about the world that you didn't know you knew. And I just loved having to write a poem once a week for that workshop. And then, so I took the next workshop and then the next workshop. And then I was like, oh, I'll dual major in English. And then eventually I just ended up doing that all the time. <laughs> and so uh, then I got a job, you know, editing a magazine. So it, it just kind of fell in. It's a strange, a strange year. I never thought I'd end up here on a, on a, on a podcast for Writer's Digest. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Kim. Oh, I was involved in listening to everybody's um, stories. Well, I'll join, I'll join Joe and Tim in freshman year of college. Um, although I will say that I felt that I was a Dr. Seuss uh, and A.A. A. A. Milne addict, and I memorized all of those and would force my dolls to listen to me read these little rhyming poems. I do credit uh, Dr. Seuss for my love of and I would write little things, but of course, we don't think they're anything. On freshman year of college, I took an elective called Introduction to Creative Writing. And I was the luckiest person in the world because the teacher was Thomas Lux. And uh, Thomas Lux, it was his first class teaching ever. So I feel real. It's like growing up with the Beatles. I mean, the timing was just right. You couldn't have wished for anything better than that. And on day one, um, we were scared and I didn't know what was going on. And he was very um, aggressive as a, as a teacher that at the beginning used to wear a suit jacket and a tie. And um, he declared us all poets. He said, everyone in this room is a poet and you have a responsibility to, to tell the world the way you see it. And he sort of gave us a literally poetic license. And that was it for me. I mean, that was it. It was a poem a day every day. And I stayed there and I had great, great teachers <clears throat> throughout those years. Paul Hannigan, uh, William Matthews, Bill Knott. I mean, how lucky can you get? And, um, but then something happened and I, I was writing, I was sending out, I was encouraged. I taught creative writing at Emerson for two years. And then guess what? I moved to Los Angeles and um, it was the death of me. No, it wasn't. It was, it was great, but I stopped. I stopped writing poetry and I tried to write all these other things and I got a job and then I started a company and I had a baby and then I stopped writing for 20 years. And when my son left for college, I started writing again. And the poems came back fast and furious. I don't know, 10 a week. Uh, it was glorious. And I wrote to Tom Lux and he said, well, you know, the warranty has expired. Um, that was how funny he was. But <laughs> he um, told me, go to, go to workshops you still got your humor, you still got the whimsy, but you need the craft. So I went to every single writing workshop I could find all over the place in LA, all over the country. And 
I started getting it back. And happiest days of my life are when I'm writing poems, which is pretty much all the time. Yeah, and another uh, small world moment. I, I remember uh, talking with Thomas Lux once after reading on a local poetry stage here in Atlanta. And uh, the nicest guy, uh, long conversation with him about my kids, my poetry. Uh, I gave him my email address. And I just thought it was somebody in the crowd, like just who liked poetry. <laughs> and I found out later uh, from my wife who pays attention to this stuff. She's like, Oh my gosh, you got, you were spending forever talking to Thomas Lux. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but such a nice, sincere guy though, because like he, he didn't put on any airs or, or let me know that he was Thomas Lux when we were talking. <laughs> so, uh, cool stuff, small world again. Uh, so Kelly, uh, your origin story. Yeah, this has been wonderful to listen to um, everyone. I was interested in poetry in high school and um, I went to public school. So the poetry class I got was taught by an ex DJ and we looked at the lyrics from Pink Floyd um, and tried to write from that and write. Um, so when I went to college, I really had no, I knew Shakespeare um, and I knew Plath but I didn't know a lot um, about that there were poets actually alive and living in the world. So I became a fiction writer at the University of Washington. And like Joe, um, my father went to college, but I was the first, I was the youngest of six girls. Um, and so I was the first to go to college. And my dad just said, doesn't matter what you major in, just finish. He goes, that's all they're going to look at at your resume. And I'm like, okay, I like English. I almost switched to communications. I went to the department and they're like, well, what do you like? And I said, I like to write. And he's like, then write. So I was a fiction writer and I took a class um, with Linda Beards and Tom Henley, who runs Steel Toe Press was in that class. And I never looked back. I stopped writing fiction and started writing poetry. Um, and then kind of built my life around that. I graduated and thought, well, I didn't, again, I know there was a Linda Beards who was writing poems, but she was teaching and I didn't really want to teach. Um, so I got a corporate job and then I realized how much I hated corporate jobs and just started saving a lot of money and moved to a very small town um, about six months before I was fully vested and tried to live a life as a poet there. And then from there on, it was just um, a little bit like Kim is. So I had a baby um, when I was 30. And then what was happening was people weren't seeing me as a poet. It was kind of like a hobby. And so I thought, well, if I want people to take this serious, I'm going to throw a lot of money at it. So I went back and got my MFA. Um, and I feel like my whole life has just been trying to find ways to live as a poet, whatever that means. Like, you know, my younger years, I was selling stuff on eBay and trying to, you know, make money that way. Um, but it's just something that's always remained constant in me. It's the one thing I look, can look back and always see it was there where there's a lot of other things that were just kind of phases like mountain biking. And um, but this has always been with me. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, 
I often do not describe myself as a poet to people that I don't know are writers. <laughs> like I don't, I don't uh, share it because a lot of times like the reactions can really be all over the map when, uh, when people hear that uh, I write poetry. In fact, even if I say I'm a writer, a lot of times they're like, yeah, okay. Like that's a cool hobby that you write. Um, and interestingly enough, even if I say I'm an editor, a lot of times people will ask like, what's your job? I say editor and they're like, shut off <laughs> like okay <laughs> let's talk about something else anything else um but uh and i don't know if that's because they think i'm gonna spell check their talking or or what but um <laughs> it's uh it's interesting um i i've noticed uh, while reading the poems but also during the origin stories uh more more I know at least three of you, maybe all four of you had mentioned uh, poetry prompts. And uh, I was just like kind of interested in, you know, do all of you use poetry prompts? I, I know that Tim will share them. Uh, I know Kelly shares them uh, like in a guide. You usually have like an April guide, right? Um, yeah, two like Sylvia's. Mm -hmm. Poetry prompts. Um, uh, I know that Joe's uh, written to some of my prompts on the Writer's Digest site before. Um, I don't know what order to go in here, but what, what's everyone's thoughts on uh, poetry prompts, whether whether sharing them or writing to them? Well, I never uh, I never wrote to prompts before we started doing the uh, the Rattlecast, but that, now I steal your prompts all the time. And, and Megan, uh, my wife and our assistant editor, compiles prompts once a week. And I just, you know, it goes back to that. It's this meditative thing that we do as poets and, 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 and having somewhere to jump off from. It doesn't really matter, you know, what, where it ends up going. Just having something to kind of focus your attention at first is really helpful, I think. And then for, for the podcast that we do, just having people, you know, seeing different takes, like, you know, a dozen or two dozen different takes on one prompt is always a lot of fun, too. It kind of ties everything together. Um, so I just love that that aspect of it. And, and that's why I loved... Uh, taking poetry workshops in college was just that you get some kind of thing to start with. And then at the end of the week, you get to see what everyone else did with that idea. You know, it's just a sort of a, it makes this sort of a, the very private thing, very communal at the same time, which I, I just enjoy it a lot. I love prompts, but I use, um, as Tim said, the most interesting thing to me when I'm teaching and to, to just illustrate to the students or the poets that I teach adults, so they're not really students, but is to show the diversity that one line can create, you know, 20 completely different takes on something, which proves, you know, the poetry. It's like Amy Gersler says, if you say you don't like poetry, it's like saying you don't like food because there's something for everyone. And as we all demonstrated today, I mean, our poems are different. Our styles are different, what we write about. But my prompts, my tried and true prompts are headlines from the newspaper and stories I hear on the radio. I can't tell you how many poems I've written. I heard a newscast, they're taking chocolate milk off the menu. And I just pulled over and wrote a poem based on their taking chocolate milk off the menu. Or, you know, the nudists are getting ready to pack was a headline in the LA Times when they were closing a nudist colony in the desert. And I thought, thank you. 
you know, for that. So I get a lot of prompts right out of the headlines. And I give my students always find a headline this week and write a poem based on it. So uh, prompts are great. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the the news prompt because uh, one of my old professors, uh, Sestina writer, uh, Jim Cummins, that was always one of his assignments and uh, workshop at some point was going to news of the weird and finding some kind of weird headline and going from there with your poem. Uh, Kelly. Well, um, since I wrote um, The Daily Poet, which is 365 prompts uh, with Martha Solano, I kind of <laughs> am a prompt person. And I like what Tim said about it, which I think is kind of what makes prompts magical is everyone arrives to it. But because we're all so different and how we interpret things and how we do it, that our poems just go off in different directions. That's why I find them really useful. And I know, especially during the pandemic, it's been, people have been wanting them because at Two Sylvia's, we've had um, poets who kind of have lost track of time in their writing time, um, have been asking us, like, can you give us prompts? So we started um, a new service in May, we're going to start it where we send like a prompt, two prompts a week to everyone's email, and then um, some other information to help people stay on track. But um, the pandemic has been a time where I ended up in a poetry group every Thursday night with Marty Solano and Rhonda Broach, and we would each bring prompts. And they were getting crazier and crazier as the pandemic went on, like surrealist prompts where they would ask bizarre questions like, uh, the moon is a light bulb, what do you turn off? Martini. And, you know, and we'd be like, okay, we're writing from this. Um, so yeah, they're definitely something I use. And I um, sometimes a poem comes from like another source, which feels magical, but a lot of times it just comes from this play. Yeah, and that that's a good point about the pandemic is uh, at times for me personally, it's been difficult to write uh, depending on what, what's going on in the world uh, each week. Uh, and I always feel like kind of lucky that I do such a public uh, weekly prompt on the Writer's Digest website because it forces, because I, I, I always have the prompt, but then I always have like a poem to get people started. So I'm kind of forced to try to like re-trigger that part of my brain. And of course, like a lot of the poems are horrible, like, but, it at least like forces me back into that space each week. And I always feel kind of lucky about that. Um, Joe. Well, I, I, I want to take uh, a contrary position and just rail against prompts and say that prompts are, you know, everything I don't believe in, but I, I love prompts, uh, you know, and I've done many of my books, Robert came from your challenges where I'll have a subject and then I will use the prompts to kind of explore the subject in different ways, whether it's writing about kind of wine or writing about dance or writing out. And then those prompts give you a place to start. And then, you know, you're not bound by the prompt. You can pull it away if you don't like it and you can end up somewhere else. You know, that will have been the initial kind of impetus. And they are fun. They give you a push down the hill. I mean, I, I am a real fan of prompts. And then there's also the sense of play. Uh, I at one point had a project. I couldn't decide if I was going to write prompt, the prompts I was going to use were the spam headings, headers for spam in my junk mail because I love those headers. And I was like, oh, I should make these into poems. 
or I was rereading Shakespeare and the, the stage directions in Shakespeare can be so crazy and wonderful. You know, most famous exit pursued by a bear. Uh, but there's another one, enter a messenger with, you know, two heads and a hand. It's like all the violence is right there, right? So I started writing those using them as prompts and it was fun and playful. And I thought to myself, this is really stupid. I didn't think this is a great idea. This is so serious. I thought this is really dumb, but I'm really enjoying it. So let's see how far we can go with it. And I think there has to be that sense of not even trying to write a poem. I'm just putting words down to see what will happen. Some days nothing does. And some days something wonderful happens. And that gets you moving. Yeah, I like that that thought process. It's something I always try to promote a little bit with the different challenges that we do is, uh, you know, if you want to write serious stuff, that's great, but try not to do it in the first draft. Like, even if you're writing serious stuff in the first draft, try not to take it too seriously in the first draft. Just get the ideas out there, and then then you can start chiseling away and crafting it and shaping it uh but i mean that might just be me might just uh be joe just mentioned it uh kim how do you how do you feel on that like especially with first drafts (laughs) yeah i mean i it's 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 never the same thing it's like they say every pregnancy is different every poem is different there's there's no rule there's no way that it is uh if things get too comfortable uh, it's probably not right. I mean, I've literally been pulled by deep, deep, deep sadness. I see something on the street or I read something or suddenly a feeling literally comes over me. I was standing in, in, in my garden once um, watering the roses and I literally felt my father's presence. I mean, I felt him looking at the roses and he's dead and I, I, I just thought, my God, he would love these roses. And I was pulled by this very intense sadness. And I ran into the house and I ran to my computer and I wrote. And it, I will say, it's pretty much the poem that I kept. It came out so uh, full and complete and rich immediately that even when I tried to make myself edit it and change it, I thought, you know, you nailed it. And it was it was from this real emotion. Well, there are other times I could want to write a serious poem and it will never work. It's just bad. You know, nothing I can do will help it. It's just like wrong. And so you never know when it's going to come through you. Like Anne Sexton used to say, her poems come from God. They just come inside of her. And, you know, everyone has their own way of thinking how a poem comes, but it can come, uh, it can be really hard months of of editing, or it can just be suddenly there. I call it a poem push. It just it just comes out. It's like a miracle. Um, so all different ways. That that's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely. Tim. Yeah, I, I just think play is such an important aspect of of all creativity. I think it's really central to it. And I always say that um, Zen and the Art of Archery is probably the best book. Um, about writing or about any kind of art. And there's this whole passion, uh, whole sections about how the right art is purposeless and aimless. And so I pulled up this quote because I just love this. Uh, and this is how I think about writing poems or, or doing anything creative. 
and this is from Zen and the Art of Archery. You must hold the drawn bowstring like a little child holding a proffered finger. It grips it so firmly that one marvels at the strength of the tiny fist, and when it lets the finger go, there is not the slightest jerk. Do you know why? Because a child doesn't think, I will now let go of the finger in order to grasp this other thing. Completely unselfconsciously, without purpose, it turns from one to the other. And we would say that it was playing with the things were it not completely true that the things were playing with the child. And I think that's what the, the state that we get into when we're creating, when making art, is that the art is playing with us, you know? And, um, and I think, like, we do a young poets anthology of poets age 15 and younger. And when they're around age eight or nine, they are just so playful and creative. And I always feel like, like we as adults are trying to get back to that space where we're just playing with words and, and learning our way through the world and making something. And I think that's, um, that's, what, that's what we do. And um, when I first published a book, um, American Fractal is my only book. And it's 12 years old or 13 years old now from Red Hen Press. And it was sort of like depressing after I published it because it became like a serious thing. And, and it took a long time to get back to that sense of like it not being a careerish thing and just being play again. And that's actually to get back to the prompts. That's what the prompts helped with, was just letting yourself play with play with words and language and creativity again, like a child would. Yeah. And that's a good point about after like the first book coming out and feeling kind of, <laughs> it's it's funny, like you're kind of excited, but you're also kind of feel this emptiness <laughs> that, that it's uh, out there. Uh, or at least for me, um, and a good point about like the kids as a father of five, uh, I totally like, I see like their creativity each time they get to that sweet spot between like where they know how to write and then they start writing things and, and like some of the combinations of thoughts and ideas that come together. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like, like this is, uh, uh, it's just amazing to watch, and, and it's something I, I keep trying to encourage my kids to say, get older, not not to fall out of that uh, super creative, bringing things together that I would never think of bringing together um, type stuff. Um, yeah, that's what's so interesting about reading the submissions, is you can see where they drop off into self-consciousness. It's always around like age 12 or 13 or something. And then, and you know, in the poets that age, they start to write, you know, what they think you want to hear and they try to make things poetic, whereas kids under like don't have that self-consciousness. And so like Elizabeth Bishop calls, um, calls art, um, uh, the self-forgetful, perfectly useless concentration. And I think that's what kids have spontaneously and naturally when they're young. And then, they, and then we lose it. Then we have to find it again. And then we get such excitement out of finding it when we do, because our regular lives are so full of monotony and bills and all sorts of things. And, and finding that childlike aspect is uh, is what we're. I, I don't. It feels to me like what we're all after. Although I shouldn't talk in generalities, but uh, that's what it feels like to me. Well, it, it's interesting because I teach at a at uh, University of North Carolina School of the Arts, where we train professional artists, dancers, and musicians, and actors. And and they all struggle with this that they they took something that they loved, and had a passion about, and now they're trying to do it professionally, and that and you lose your love. That monetizes a bit. Uh, I remember. I had somebody come up to me once and said, well, if I do write a poem, like, what will I get? And then in case I didn't know what he meant, he kind of rubbed his thumb and his finger together, like, how much? And I just, I just cracked up. It was like, well, you'll get the pleasure of writing a poem, which is wonderful, but you're not going to make much money. But this idea of, of like, well, this is serious stuff, and it has to be serious, 
and that will then kind of distort it. It's it's for me. It's really wonderful that I I don't have a lot of expectations when I publish a poem. I don't think people are going to read it. I don't. If they if somebody once quoted a poem to me and I thought they were mocking me, I was like, wait, you're quoting my own work? Are you making fun of me? Because it's like I don't expect people to read it, and that's actually really liberating. That's that means I can kind of do what I want. I just last week somebody said, what do you want your readers to get out of your poem? And I I answered. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I got something writing it. I don't know what you'll get reading it. And I guess, Robert, to go back to the serious funny thing, I don't ever think of writing this is serious or this is funny. Although sometimes I'll see my students try to be serious, try to be poetic, as Tim said. Sometimes it'll be funny unintentionally. And when I read it, people will laugh. And I'll be like, I guess that line is funny. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't going for a laugh. But you're, you're trying to see what the work wants to be. And then it will adopt that kind of tone. But, you know, I, I think we do distort it when we're like, this is pretty serious stuff. This is going to be really moving, right? I'm going to push. And that always distorts it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that uh, I probably communicated it a little bit poorly. But, but yeah, just being a little bit like trying to be unconscious, I guess, a little bit when you're doing that first draft, uh, not thinking about the the final state that it's it's going to be in more just you know ex <laughs> this i'm thinking of that saturday night life uh skit with the the more cowbell you know just explore the space and <laughs> and then then you can figure out what space looks like afterwards um i i guess you know we're getting near the end um and i don't want to put people on the spot but i am wondering um and i'll give you all like a second to think about this and you can raise your hand if you you have an idea of who would fit this but i'm wondering if each of you could maybe rec like suggest a poet that you really enjoy um you know poetry in a sense is such a small world where you know we do have like these different connections that that happen but in another way, it's a very vast world to where I might have like two or three poets that I love. But if I meet other people who read poetry, they might have never heard of them. So um, if you can think of like maybe one poet that you would like to share with the world, who would that poet be? And if you have a name that comes to mind, Kelly, we'll let you go first. I do. Um, Melissa Stuttered, and uh, she has a new book out called Dear Selection Committee. And she comes to poetry with so much play. Um, it was like what you're talking about, the first drafts. You can just see the energy in her work, and um, you just never know what to expect with her. So she would be mine, Melissa Stuttered. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't I don't know how to answer that question. There's so many poets that um, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm a huge Bob Hickok fan, so I love everything he does. Um, Patricia Smith is just amazing in her variety and 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 the way she delivers things and also you know evolves and and does amazing things. There's, it's impossible. I don't know. I mean, I interview a new poet every week on our podcast, and it's just amazing poet after amazing poet, and it never ends. So I, it's picking out one. I just can't. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I too have so many. I, I, it's hard to pick one, but I'm a big fan of the New York School. I've always been so. Frank O'Hara was one of my first favorites, and he remains one of my favorites. And speaking of playful and fun, 
Frank O'Hara, Ron Padgett, uh, to be funny, but with such a serious underside. Uh, conversational poetry has always been my thing, but I've recently discovered, though, I've been reading her for years, but I'm really stuck on Ellen Bass these days, just B-A-S-S, Ellen Bass, and she did, recently did an interview in the Writer's Chronicle, which blew my mind, and she talks a lot about how the just minutiae, you know, seeing every single detail in the world uh, as a poem and what it can be uh, is it, something that I try to do. Um, you know, it's like Jerry Seinfeld's show, the show's about nothing, you know, and the poem's about nothing, but it's about everything. That to me is a great poem, but <laughs> just what are you talking about? Uh, but Ellen Bass is great, is a great poet that people should read. And, and I'm just going to echo what everybody said. There's so many poems and poets that we can mention. Um, and I'm going to apologize in advance if these poets hear their names and I mangle their names because I, I've only seen their names written, so I don't know how to pronounce some of their names. Um, but there's a poet, uh, Stacy Nigliazzo. She is an emergency room nurse and a hospital nurse, and she writes a lot about healthcare in her poetry, and I find that really moving and wonderful. She has a new book coming out. Uh, I find every time I run across it, one of his poems, I love him. It's George Bilger. B-I-L-G-E-R-E. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he is hilarious and I love his work. And Rita Duff, you know, again and again, I find myself going back to her work. Great. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here uh, for people who are listening and or uh, viewing this. Uh, links and biographical information for each of the poets on this roundtable are located somewhere close by <laughs> and uh, uh thank you all so much uh for coming on here it's really great to have an episode of this podcast that's dedicated solely to poetry uh i feel like a lot of the time we're talking about fiction nonfiction, writing techniques for writer's digest so it's great to just have one that's just all poetry uh, and uh, I hope to see you all again sometime soon. For this episode's writing prompt, write a response piece. If you pen poetry, write a poem that responds to a story. The poem could be written in the voice of a character or describe a scene in the story. If you prefer to write fiction or nonfiction, write a piece that responds to a popular poem. You may even choose to use a few lines as an epigraph at the beginning of your story as a framing device. Thanks for listening to Writer's Digest Presents. Join us in May when we'll be talking about world building. Until then, you can visit writersdigest.com for more writing prompts, advice, and inspiration. And search for us on social on the usual platforms. Email us at writers.digest at aimmedia.com to share your feedback. We look forward to hearing from you.